Hello, and welcome to episode 132 of Relics of Ore. I am your host, Grybok, a.k.a. Justin. Uh, this evening, I'm joined by a unique cast, in fact. I do not believe we've ever had all three of these people on the show. So, uh, first, I'm going to go to our one of our regulars, Evie. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing pretty good. I'm trying to skim the show notes as quickly as possible right now, because I may or may not be prepared for this, because my midterms are today. Don't worry, none of us are really ever prepared, <laughs> as you know. Um, and joining us uh, once again, as has been fairly frequent, we have Rabin. How are you doing again? Doing pretty well. I'm glad to be here. Very good. And with us for the first time in quite a while, our former show host, we have Eric, a.k.a. Shongaku. How are you doing this evening? I am doing wonderful. I was really tempted to burst into song and sing something like, The hills no, are alive no, no, with the no, sound no. of Shongaku. Ah, <laughs> uh, memories. And then you decided not to, but then you decided to do it anyway. Yeah, yeah I, I wasn't sure how to like preview and like go into it. If, when you asked man, me how I was doing, I was like, should I just start singing about it or no? So I was just going to say I'm doing good and let you uh, let you go from there. You start I singing myself again, go I'm going to drive all the way to your house and just punch you. Just, just let <laughs> you know. I approve. Alrighty then. Well, it's good to be back on the old school feeling relics where we're just talking <laughs> about random bull without actually, uh, you know, having any semblance of, of order. The that's derail good. train! The derail train, that's right. And that's um, weird. What's, what's different this week then? I mean, or what's the same of the old... Hmm. Hmm. Welcome so, to the derail train. Yeah, I'm gonna just rush right through uh, Patch Adams because it was really short and nobody really cares anymore. There was a patch. Uh, I don't even remember what happened anymore because well, there been was a, a little bit of balance. There wasn't anything interesting, really. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there. Yeah, a few profession skill balances, some new items in the Black Lion Trading Company. Actually, there's a second set of new items, I believe, that I was kind of interested in talking about. Um, have you guys looked at the uh, magic carpet and the green eyes in I particular? I up the magic carpet and love it. It is The magic carpet is like what we get instead of a guild cape for now. <laughs> yeah. Really? I like also, it because you've guild, got your guild symbol is yeah, on your it. your guild symbol is on it. It's very cool. I also think, personally, one of the things that I saw, because it's 250 gems, it seems like, for what it is, it is the most reasonably priced thing I've ever bought off the gem store. I was going to comment on that as Wait, well. It's like, only 200 I can afford yeah. it. Yes, that's yeah. the thing. Is If you don't... So if you're, for 35 gold, it can be yours. Yeah. 35 gold, or if you have, you know, real money, and you want to spend, what, like, five bucks? I have, like, 400 gems just sitting on my account or whatever that I haven't yeah. used. I had a differential, you know, sitting there from some leftover purchases as well, and that's it went straight to that, so... Yeah, it's $3.13 essentially. So some people have sort of pointed to this and said this is sort of what could be Guild Wars' uh, version of mounts. How do you feel about that? Uh, if this is how they're going to do mounts, I am perfectly okay with it. It drops you out of combat... I'm a little bit sad that there's not a speed buff if it's the mounts, but it I'm just also looks said, cool. I'm also sad you can't use it in World v. World. Oh, yeah, that's, that's that's kind of a weird uh, side effect of it being a toy. Um, 
my understanding is that some of the toys have movement skills on them and they don't want to have those in World v. World. Mm -hmm. Also, some of those movement skills and stuff, and, a, and actually several toys have been used to exploit and break Dub v. Dub. So any of those sort of bundles that you can actually activate, for example, the teleport gun cannot be used. So it's actually the fact that it functions like that toys and bundles all function the way they just the same way. They just turn them all off on Dub v. Dub. Yeah. When people were exploiting living daylights out of them. I mean, personally, I feel like I don't I don't like the idea of mounts in Guild Wars 2 conferring any sort of statistical advantage, i.e. a speed boost. Um, like, I just don't... I don't I, want I don't you to either. feel like you have to use one. What about, like, the kite that gave a 5% speed boost outside of a zone and a 15% speed boost in dry top? I think it's a 33% speed boost during a sandstorm. Oh, okay. Oh, and 33 during a sandstorm. That's awesome. Yes. But it has a meaning because then you're trying to get those keys. You can get to them faster. Yeah, to me that's more okay because that's like more of a specific zones gimmick rather than an overall mechanic. Mm -hmm. Because if it gave a speed boost, like you'd bet your you'd bet your ass that you'd see like a million people flying on carpets all over the place if all the time. If it gave a speed boost, there would be people that hate dungeons just doing them to get some quick gold so they can get that 250 gems. Yeah. So, anyway, I think, I feel like if that's how they want to do it, I'm mostly okay with it. I still don't like the concept of mounts in terms of most animals that you would ride. I just, I feel like a lot of the time they just sort of clutter up the screen more than already is in Guild Wars, and... But, but if we're I, going I'm, with magic brooms and carpets, that's totally okay. I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm more okay with the types of mounts that would be not actual creatures, like magical devices or things like that. I'm a lot more okay with even though it's i don't know i would like to resubmit Maybe a char chopper char or a charper <laughs> oh motorcycle that'd be, that'd be exciting i i would like to resubmit something that i talked about before the game launched uh, the hover sled driven by wind riders just throwing that out there that sounds way too bulky yeah, well yeah it'd be huge but it'd be awesome Huge is bad. Plus, what else is Father Keismus going to ride now that key runs are so hard? <laughs> uh, anyway, I just thought that was sort of something interesting to bring up, just because, even though I realized it wasn't in our show notes, I just thought of it a minute ago. But uh, not really. We've got a lot of other stuff we want to talk about, so I'm not going to dwell on it too much. The other thing I wanted to bring up, though, and this kind of was actually really irritating to me, is the fact that they're selling a green skin of the red eyes as a separate pay item when they... Also really expensive, too. It's what, like 500 gems? It's 500. It's It really seems like kind of a... It, it seems really irritating that I'm sure their dye system could accommodate dyeing those eyes to be different particle colors. Funny and... story... In I can't remember exactly when it was so, one of the betas. Okay, so you could die the fire on the cough armor. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and that was on. Yeah, that was on the subreddit. Um, somebody posted pictures of that, and yeah, it's that. That's one of those things where it it really does feel like you're being a little bit exploited by just selling recolors of the exact same cool particle effect for 500 gems a pop and then they are undiable 
And I don't know. That that sort of irritates me. So we have simultaneous examples right now of where we want the gem store to go and where we don't want the gem store to go. go. Which is why everyone should buy the carpet, but no one should buy the glowing green eyes. Yeah, pretty much, apparently. Vote with your wallets, people. <laughs> more people need to buy those outfits because they're account-bound and don't need freaking transmutation stones. So they are the best deal for, like, uh, cosmetics. Yeah, I'm actually going to go back and probably buy some now because before they just weren't worth it for me to buy it for one character and have it take up inventory space and, or, you know, I mean, yeah. And uh, Also, the cook's outfit has is plant-based if you're a Silvari. So if you're wondering about Silvari plant armor, the cook's outfit is one that uh, I was surprised. I looked at it on my Silvari and I was like, why is everything leaves all of a sudden? So there's another plant skin out there. It's been out there since Interesting. launch. Interestingly enough. Good to know. So, anyway, yeah. just thought that was a little something worth talking about. Not not super big news, but something to something to mull over. And then the other piece of news we got was that the Super Adventure Box is apparently going to actually return. It's still not really being worked on, but it has been confirmed that it's when they when they say it's not being worked on, it doesn't mean never. It just means actually not for a while, which some people some people sort of feel like that's how it's always how it's always been from what they said, but I kind of disagree, you know, which we've outlined before. Like whenever Anet doesn't want to do something, they say nothing's off the table and then leave it at that. And you know, that's to me that's that's essentially as close as you're gonna get to saying that something will never come back. So having having an actual confirmation that they really do intend on bringing it back sometime in the future is It's just it's a thing with just transparency again, just like it was way back then. It's nice to see some transparency on the issue, and hopefully they continue to do so. Yeah, totally agree. So, seems like it didn't really cause that much of a splash, but I think I I think it's worth giving credit where credit's due. You know. Yeah, and it should be noted, especially with how much I mean Reddit was freaking out, and now that their prayers have been answered by the god that is Anet in the world of Tyria. They, uh, they, yeah, there, there weren't, like, explosions of, like, Reddit threads saying, oh, thank you for acknowledging us as, you know, props to Anet for right now. that. What, Evie? Reddit has other things on its mind right now. It, Reddit has other things to rage about. Pretty much. Other but things to raid about. Bottom. There you go. I, just Can we just slow clap that for a moment, guys? You guys are really bad at slow clapping. <laughs> Look, I have a push to talk, okay? <laughs> Me too. Yeah, that's why you create a noise gate, guys. Oh my Tune gosh. Noise gate. Anyway, um, so we're going to move that right into Speculator's Corner, sort of. It's not even really speculation anymore, though. Uh, it all started when somebody on Reddit... S- but we're going to speculate. We're going to speculate. Speculation. By the way, I went off- and I found my tinfoil hat. It's here. It's like missing oh, half God. the tinfoil going on my head right now. So the so the speculation tra- or the the derailment train is heading into speculation station. Is that yes? Is that what you're telling me? Speaking of derailment and why I don't have a noise gate, why don't you guys speculate where all the gunshots outside are coming from? The train. <laughs> 
I don't hear gunshots. I'm glad I don't live in a place with gunshots. I people are hunting, and oh, it's, it's like hunting evening. season. Nice. <laughs> anyway, so it all started <laughs> when um, somebody sleuthed out that ArenaNet had put up an official job opening for raid design. Um, Is it really sleuthing when you like go to their like job postings? Well, kind and of, say, because if there's not an oh. announcement about it, like it's, I mean, it's not detailed, but the fact that somebody spotted it probably very quickly after it was put up and like posted on it, you know, like it's, I don't know. Okay, yeah, I'll give that. And I may yeah, or may that not was have <laughs> Yeah, like good luck, you. Yeah, it's you know, and I and all of it. Sometimes I check their job openings too to see if they have like for for that type of thing and. You know, you you can kind of glean some information based on what they're hiring for, um, and the fact that they're still hiring, of course. But um, not too long after that, uh, Chris Whiteside confirmed that raids will be in the next phase of CDIs after, um, after or during the guild CDI. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's part of the guild CDI. I think it's the next part of the guild it's the CDI. Next part of this guild CDI. Because right now they're on guild halls. Do we want to cover what they're talking about on guild halls really quick before we get into raids? Before you say that, though, <laughs> I have to just start off by saying that that CDI is going to be such a huge problem to manage. It's going to be a fuster clock? Just, exactly. Like, I had... I was trying not to say anything um, improper. Yeah. Um, Are we talking about the raid one or the guild halls? I think the guild one is what you're referring to, right? Both, Both. of them. Yeah. You know, weirdly enough, Vodcom, uh, you guys, if you're if you're wondering what they talked about on the guild hall one, Vodcom, V-O-D-C-O-M dot, nine, uh, dot six nine two four. Look them up on the forums. They have done an exhaustive summary of the CDI. It's called Guildhall CDI, the Complete Summary Edition. And it's fantastic, hmm. actually. I'll have to go check it's that out. It's a really great summary. You can pretty much just go down, and it, and what you really get, he puts uh, names for the people who list who talk about it on the actual who posted their ideas and that sort of thing, and he, and he gets the main ideas out. So you can see what people are thinking about. Yeah. Which is fantastic. So before we delve into either of them, I just want to sort of give a, a heads up to our, our listeners. I think we're probably going to be talking about raids on and off for a lot of this episode and probably the next episode and possibly even a side episode that we're talking about. Um, it's really a big topic and there's really so much to say on it that we can't really fit it into one show. And there's a huge array of opinions and preferences, likes, dislikes, all those types of things. So we're looking at having probably most of our active hosts have something to say about it, and that's going to take at least a couple, and we're talking about potentially meeting up with um, you know people from other prominent communities uh, in Guild Wars. So, you know, fair warning, if it doesn't interest you, that's probably going to be what we're talking about. So, you know, I feel like it's worth mentioning, but anyway. At least for part of each episode for a while. To yeah, come. especially because unless, you know, barring some crazy announcement that nobody's expecting, we're not really going to have anything else to talk about, so. I don't or know. Expecting Who it? knows what's going to happen with the uh, Halloween event? I wager that Mad King Thorn is going to return and Lion's Arch is going to be decorated and we're going to do a lot of things with pumpkins. 
So you're saying but it what will if he be has a madness. cousin that he killed other oh, than a son? snap. Okay. His cousin? We're already getting off track here. Let's go back to guilds. Eric, you seem to know things that happened in the guild thread. Why don't you take it away? So the guild they're thread... gonna release guild halls for Halloween, and they're gonna be decorated. Yes, they've, they've completely finished them. They have a fully <laughs> functioning guild versus guild system, and no, with the candy corn. With candy corn, Spencer. yeah, like it's pretty exciting. Well, no, what the main thing with the guild halls is there's there's two different things that people focus on with them, and that's mainly on the two the two sort of groups that have vested interest in guild halls. You have the PvP people who want guild versus guild. And then you have the PvEers who want a meeting place. And so the main features that people are talking about is a designing the guild halls with an overall functionality for, you know, in raiding, attacking those guild halls with your guild in a guild versus guild system. And then also there's the discussion primarily about, well, how do we want to unlock different features in the guild hall. Everyone seems to want unlocks, much like in Guild Wars 1, where you could unlock various vendors. And so that's a primary thing, is people talk about that. People are wanting to unlock buildings. There's a lot of discussion about having guild halls in the mists, where you can add different buildings on as you as your ship, as it grows. And then there's the discussion of, okay... Have, how do you, have they said anything about player housing? They, I think... From the summaries, I haven't read in depth on any of these yet because it's 27 pages and I just decided to be on the show like three days ago. Uh, but yes, it does seem like they want things like the ability to display trophies and features that you would see in player housing. And so I would not be surprised if whatever we do end up getting with guild halls or whatever consensus, there is a general concept that they want player housing-like features in the guild halls, so I wouldn't be surprised to see that sort of bleeding together. If they release guild halls, they probably will have a framework to start working on player housing, although I would not suspect to see them both at the same time like they wanted two years ago when they were launching the game. I don't know. They have a lot of people working at Anet now. It's true. And they're not all doing the release of the Ooh, monthly, sorry. the every few month releases now. What, what were the latest numbers? Like less than 8%? Something like that? For people working on Living Story? Mm-hmm. Well, I think they said that there were about 20 people, and I think they've said they have over 300 employees. So. Cool. Yeah. Like around eight. Yeah, I mean, we don't know the exact ratio of you know developers to uh, other people working at the company that don't directly produce content. But regardless, yeah, um, I think an interesting think- concern with guild I mean, halls nope. is trying to meet halfway between smaller guilds and giant mega guilds because I feel like I don't know. I feel like that's a really touchy topic for a lot of people that. If you're in a smaller guild, uh, a lot of the goals for guilds seem almost impossible, and if you're in a larger guild, they're pretty easy anyway, and so... Uh, A really good system that kind of tackles that and nails it head-on is the clan system in Warframe with their dojos, which are essentially guild halls. Um, The way they work is once you get to a certain amount of members you have to upgrade your barracks 
in order to unlock the rest of your members, like the slots, until you don't can't like invite more people. Sort of like how in Guild Wars right now, you have to buy the like I forgot what they're called, but it increases your member cap. But at the same time, dependent on what tier of guild you are, your guild unlocks have different costs, and the more uh, the higher in tier you are as far as membership goes the more of basically everything you need in order to do anything hmm. so how does that affect the the problem that i see there is large guilds gaming the system where they say okay guys we're gonna make we're going to kick everyone we're gonna move everyone from the current guild once into a secondary upgrade, guild once you upgrade a barrack to like a certain barrack you're you can't lose that tier qualification or whatever okay but in guild wars 2 since we don't oh so you're saying that if you've already unlocked a 500 so why wouldn't they just start new small guilds get everything cheap and then transfer everyone into the new small guild by and then get the upgrades because there's a lot of upgrades and whenever you make a new one you lose all your past ones so then the question is, do big guilds get things that little guilds don't? In Warframe, generally no. There are actually guilds or clans, as they are, of just eight people that will unlock all the research and get the rooms and all that, just the same way that uh, large mountain clans will. And it doesn't seem like it's... And people don't seem like they're trying to game the system or anything? It... it if it happens, I've never heard of it. Yeah, I interesting. It's an interesting it's an interesting, you know, challenge because if you make it yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting way to do it, the way that you're talking about, because if you do make it too easy, then a lot of the big guilds kinda say, Alright, we got everything instantly, you know, what like what are we gonna what is there for us? Um in terms of that progression aspect. Personally, I don't I don't know. It's it's a challenge, but it's it's interesting food for thought. Well, and it's it kind of a beyond... problem that they... Go ahead. Go ahead, Evie. And I was about to say, it goes beyond even just unlocks. They also have leaderboards for certain things, like their events and whatnot. And they have different leaderboards for every tier of guild. Oh, that's a cool idea. Yeah. What were you going to say, Raven? I'm actually... But it's kind of like if they drop, you know, guild halls now, whereas they would have if they would have had them at launch... All these guilds already have tons of gold and you know rep and all this other resources. They might big guilds might be doing that. They might just bang. We have everything. There's no building it up, and that might seem unfair, but it's weird now because you know, like I said, the resources are there, and, and if the resources guilds, are available, yeah, yeah unless they create years. new resources needed for particular guild halls or whatever. Like Guild Wars One, it was Celestial Sigils for a long time, and I mean they could just introduce a system like that. Well, it was sigils, and after that, it, it was, was just gold. Money. Yeah, I think because the thing is that, and I feel like they've made this mistake in the past, or at least I consider it to be a mistake. That sometimes they try and balance these systems based on what the wealthiest established players have, and try and make it say like this is something that you'll have to work for, but using existing resources, which gets into that problem that EV was sort of saying is a solution is a new currency of some sort. Because the problem with that is then it's extremely unfriendly to new players, or you know if it's a character bound thing, it can be very unfriendly to alts. Um, 
I, I mean, again, going back to the skills, I feel like some of the, you know, getting a new skill that costs 25 skill points when it's just like a regular healing skill, especially when it's a really bad one, is like, it feels like they're trying to solve the problem of skill inflation, but then it's really awful if you actually don't have skill points and like, it's just mm-hmm. boring. Yeah, it's bad for a new player. Like, I feel really bad for new necros because like you see that thing with 25 skill points and it's just... Well, and the problem is if you read the actual description, you can think to yourself, that sounds really cool. And if you don't actually notice, like, all of the limitations it has, uh, yeah. I still haven't bought it, actually, because there's and, no point. And another thing, like, just because it's a it has waste of a higher cost, people are going to think it's better. Yeah. So, so, like, you know, extending that to guilds, if you say, well, if the average guild is capped out on influence and gets, you know, a million influence a day or whatever, and, you know, has this much gold available to it because of its members and, you know, all these metrics, and then say, we want to use the existing resources to create a new goal for them and not have them get it instantly, that becomes instantly unattainable to, you know, like smaller or even many average sized guilds. Whereas if you do a new currency, you know, like, say, the Celestial Sigils, uh, you know, a bigger guild may get it faster because they have more people working at it, but you also can make it a lot more reasonable to attain if, you know, if everybody's actually starting from ground zero with a new with a new mm-hmm. way of doing something rather than trying to expend the resources that some people have pooled up tons of. Um, I think the and, guild marks then... are actually pretty good that way right now because they do cap at 250 and even small guilds by now have had time to actually start getting those up. Well, there's actually kind of an issue even with that right now. Because when they did the recent server mergers, you were allowed to have over that many. Granted, you can't get any more, but there are probably some guilds out there that have well over a thousand. Cool. Good for them. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, it's just, you know. And I just want to mention something else on the topic of, like, guilds and getting things and unlocking whatnot. There's been a lot of hubbub about 100% rep and that being an issue. And I feel like something like this would just exacerbate it. Yeah, that's kind of true there's, as well. Depending depending on the way that you had to right get now. it. Depending on the like yeah. if it was the type of thing like again to use your example, a celestial sigil and it was the type of thing where um you will tie this into raids. You have to do a raid with X number of people in the raid from your guild and it doesn't have to be max but say maybe 5 or 10 people. Um you know, then then the 100% rep wouldn't be really important as long as you just could get a group to do it. Um, but if it's based on things like influence or merits or whatever, um, you know, like you said, it's just going to make people, it's just going to exacerbate that problem. How does everybody, what does everybody like, just talk about the guilds just a little bit more for guild halls. If you could give me a quick summary of the types of things that you individually are looking for in a guild hall, Evie, go. Multiple landscapes and lots of customizability. Eric, go. I would like to see... Things like trophies, so the customization, and definitely the different visual states of guilds and chairs that I can sit in. <laughs> All right, and uh, Rabin, how about yourself? I think it'd be cool to have a, you know just a place to hang out with the guild, uh, more for a place to queue up with the guild, really. Um, for uh, maybe some of the vendors could be direct access to dungeons. You know, you could buy that 
um, and add it to your guild as it goes. I think something like that would be cool, as well as, you know, vendors. I would want to see vendors. I, mean, I can't imagine them not having vendors in guild also. Yeah. For, my, for, for myself, I definitely... Um, and with, I'm definitely big on the multiple landscapes. I mean, again, I'm a very self-declared explorer type and I loved the variety of guild halls we had in Guild Wars 1. So I would love to see a huge variety there. Um, if nothing else, that would also aid with our peers because, you know, they could have their own little area that is of a terrain type that is relevant to them. Um, I might get my own hot spring. Yeah. <gasps> Uh, and then as well, I also definitely want convenience things like merchants because I know I know sometimes that's controversial in the sense that a lot of people sort of think that that'll kill kill the big cities. But I was just about to mention, yeah, that. and it, it you know it's it's a double edged sword thing- because I like to be able to hang out with just my guild if I want to, and having to go like having having basic merchant services I feel like is fine and you know i mean if you don't if you don't want to be interacting with other people in a city or in the ambiance of a lot of people in a city you're probably not spending much time there anyway and well there's also the situation mm-hmm. that with mega servers cities are never going to necessarily probably feel underpopulated and simultaneously we already have full access to whatever we need just by popping into our our borderland, our server borderland. So unless you're on a queue-bound server, that still has not caused the cities to become completely empty and devoid of people. So I think adding in a guild hall with even bank and trading post wouldn't necessarily be much of an issue. Yeah, same with the um, elite area. The well, although that may be a reason why they wouldn't do it. The um, you know the those segmented off areas like the airship and the um, the Queen's Terrace or whatever, you know what I'm talking about? Where you have to buy them from the yeah, Gen- the Royal, yeah, Terrace. The Royal Terrace. There you go. Um, you know, I mean, those... I keep trying to find, like, a hole in the wall to jump in there and it doesn't let me. <laughs> they have a perfect invisible if, wall around it. Um, just to let you know, if you do manage to get in, you get teleported out. That's even... That's lame. The guards are I'm always watching. I'm in- not speaking from experience. <laughs> Off. Cough hack. Me cough. neither. I just go in. <laughs> uh, nice. Anyway, so let's transition this into some some raid theory speculation talk. Oh, I know that was a beautiful segue, by the way. I, I try. Um, <laughs> I'm still not quite as pro as yourself. Sometimes I would like to see guild halls have entrances or like things that lead into raids. With a unique Not raiding buff. other guild halls because I don't want to see raiding be a PvP thing, like solely because that just that's what World v World is for. Sure. Okay. Anyway. So let's let's start with some groundwork. I know that we've talked about raids a little bit in the past on the podcast. At least I'm pretty sure I know that. I could be totally full. Of- yeah. No. This is it has come up many a time. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. let's. Let's start with just some groundwork again. So, I guess, some questions that Kate wrote into our show notes. What constitutes a raid? How do you uh, define raids versus how do you think Guild Wars 2 developers will define raids? And okay. um, uh, p- talking about examples of existing Guild Wars 2 content and how to how to frame it in a raid-like context versus uh, other games. Um, I, I, don't want, I don't mean to, like 
steal the host spot for a second. Oh, but snap. I really think that we should give some background onto like what we've done in games in the past. Sure. And sure. what our experiences with rating just in general, because that has a huge effect on outlook. And I really think that people should know that before we start talking about it, where we're coming from. Yeah, no, that's that's totally fair. Um, why don't you go ahead then? I kind of didn't want to go first, but fine. That's what happens when you no, steal I, the spotlight. We, we start with the most. We yeah, we always start with the most hardcore first. See, that's why I'm going there's last. The, there's the thing though. I have done plenty of world firsts in multiple games. I've done server first, obviously, if I've done world first. But at the same time, I'm not very hardcore about it. Like, in Wrath, for instance, and then Kata, and to some extent even in BC, the people I ran with, we had a rule that unless we were going specifically for a world first, like, time constraint, we wanted this so that we could look good. We didn't use consumables. How is that not hardcore? It's very not min-maxy. Like, part of the min-max mindset is using absolutely everything that's available. Consumable, the best build you can. Like, screw all if you enjoy playing that talent spec. If there's another one that's better, you're playing it. So you would say that you've done a fair bit of raiding, though. You're just not necessarily at the like the apex of the hardest of the cores. Currently, no. well, I mean, in the past there as well. Was a time, there was a time. There was a time that I was all through vanilla, well through BC. I did okay. So how are you going to relate that experience to what we're talking about now? Well, I think I think what he's saying is that it's before we before we start talking about you know our opinions on things that there is there is some value into into talking about how much you've experienced in other games because you know if two people are saying opposite things but one person has absolutely no experience uh, with having done them there's some degree of um I, you know there's there's some degree to which i feel like it's important to you know put your personal bias or experience up front um Mm-hmm. It's it's more of a bias thing. I just want people to know the outlook yeah. that I'm going into this with. Yeah. Well, like full disclosure, I'm at like the opposite end because I have not played too many other MMOs, and I played WoW, but not a ton because I didn't like it. And I've actually never done a raid because the way that they structure. The way that they structure raids, in other MMOs at least, is something that I'm unable to dedicate enough of my schedule to, to make palatable, and I do too many things in my life to have those kinds of commitments on like a nightly basis for a week at a time. Um, so I actually have very little experience in terms of actual raiding, and I feel like, you know, it is important to to state that up front, like... I'm coming at this from a perspective of more of like a 
person that plays mostly Guild Wars for their MMO content because and but Guild Wars hasn't had raids, so like here's the thing though, and I feel I should mention this because you mentioned Guild Wars. Guild Wars One had elite areas, and at launch, they were fairly up there. Sure. Okay, but so if we're gonna call that a raid, then I've done, you know, most of the elite areas at least to some extent, um, in Guild Wars One. But you know, counter to how many other raids are, you did those in one sitting, period, and they were a couple hours tops in you know one sitting. That's other raids can be like no, they that can, too. they absolutely can. <laughs> but as but as compared to many raids, like it, it, it's just a different. It's it's something to keep in mind as a listener and as a player um which is again why this is topic is going to take so long to talk about because there's so much out there yeah i i as far as my background guild wars elite areas which i consider as hardcore as raids on some level especially in the early days when people hadn't hadn't figured them out mathematically and if you just go into them cold even nowadays they're going to be pretty hardcore simply because of the you die yeah, when there was no no earthen way design. no no perma sf no 55 monks right before people had basically broken the guild wars code they were i mean i remember going in with the boon prot combos being the the blood is power necro and the battery necro and the, it was brutal then because we hadn't necessarily figured out we were as optimal as we thought we could be but it was i would say it was equivalently difficult and equivalently wipe heavy any of the rating i've done in wow although my wow rating was extremely casual as evie reminds me of regularly because i was hyper casual Look, and robin you weren't just casual in wow i just gotta say that if you weren't a caster running echo meteor shower and managing your resources properly in underworld you were casual just saying unless you were a monk because and i'm joking by the way don't take that serious are you telling me that my double mending healing sig frenzy build was not <laughs> optimal Wait, double mending <laughs> come on you gotta awesome. you gotta double echo mending and then frenzy heal sig oh my god <laughs> yeah come well, on it works for you right <laughs> It's fantastic. I get maybe that was just a go-to joke among my friends. I maybe I did you did you throw a, like healing breeze in there too, so that you could just have as <laughs> yeah, many pips as possible. Warriors need health regeneration, you guys. From as many, I mean, whammos are so pro. Don't forget healing seed. <laughs> healing seed didn't it's exist so that you can back counter then. Counter all the degen. It's all the degen that you know hits you. You need like fifty pips cached so that if you have like and 30 degen that's right. you still have like 10 cached so you're 20. good and warriors can't cast life siphon so they can't get it themselves they need it from by the way guys if you're wondering about pips guild wars basically had a system where you would get two hp i think or two or one mp per second i believe based on the number of pips you had on your health bar based on these health regen things and they would max out at a based certain on your value. class and your so profession. based on your class or it was really because it was based on your armor, was like, which was based on your profession. profession. Oh, okay. Oh. That's right. So what would then happen is you would stack up as many of these, and then if you got more of these, more of them on based on the effects that you've got, instead of them applying the effect, they would simply cancel out a negative effect. And so you had, like, if you were bleeding, if you were poisoned, if you had... Uh, various hexes on you you could get like negative yeah, 10, 10 was the cap i believe uh, degen yeah 
And so you could go in both yeah, directions, 10. 10 in both directions. And so what you would have is you'd have a certain number of pips going one way versus the pips going another way, and that's the total number of pips. So, you know, if you have five positive and three negative pips, you have two pips that are going up. Yeah. So the joke is basically, oh, you need to cash like 50 pips so that if there's even like one negative pip, there's no way it's having well, an I mean, effect. So that you can face tank It's like Doom. a quadruple joke. Well, Doom didn't exist back then either. <laughs> but uh, it's like a quadruple joke because one of the, the spell I was talking about mending was a monk spell that was an upkeep spell. And the way the upkeeps worked in Guild Wars 1 was that you lost an energy oh, regen. You got a minus one energy regen to maintain the spell permanently on somebody. And you could and warriors two. only had what and two you pills? could no it gets better because you could <laughs> um uh, they were on a low recharge if any because the whole point was that it was giving you you know constant degen until you canceled it and echo was a you know <laughs> anyway echo was a mesmer skill and you could copy abilities and wait how do you echo echo. Wait. It was Arcane Echo, and Arcane Echo was a legitimate so, so skill was for Echo. anyone. So we have the, so there's a double joke in the fact that no, Arcane you see, Echo you could Arcane Thievery it. You're on a warrior. <laughs> oh. You're right. So you could use the Sorry, Elite it was Echo like a hobby and then of my the Arcane and Echo I to come up with the worst possible builds. And so the idea of this is you're wasting like four skill slots to apply one spell four times, <laughs> even though you could have done it with just the one spell, and then get into negative energy That's regen excellent. and then frenzy. <laughs> made you increase attack speed but take double damage and healing signet made you heal at the end but also take double damage and those stacked so you take quadruple damage if you did both at the same time uh it anyway a funny story <laughs> i once tried to make awesome. a really bad build deliberately and i ended up making a tournament build that is still on pvs <laughs> oh god <laughs> So you're bad. At Eric being shows bad, up on this show and we talk about Guild so, Wars One for half an hour. <laughs> um, I'm just gonna shotgun it right back. Vrabin, how much experience do you have with raiding? Yeah. Um, that's my where I I don't know where I come in because I'm trying to find what raiding is because my experience with raiding is only in a Guild Wars sense. I played uh, World of Warcraft a little bit, made it 60 raids, never appealed to me for many of the same reasons that uh, you had, um, Grabok. I just not, not the time. Don't yeah. want to put the resources into it. And I really like the elite zones in Guild Wars, and I'd like to see something like that in Guild Wars 2. Um, so, but I'm having trouble defining, you know, what rating is. Because what a WoW player thinks rating is, and what I think what rating is from Fisher of Woe or The Underworld is As very different. that's played both of them, I think both of them are completely legitimate, and they can be called rating. I would agree with that. I would say that in common parlance, that the WoW raid is what most people are thinking of when they talk about raids. And, you know, as Evie said, I think they're both legitimate. But if you are talking with somebody just in general on the internet and they don't have any qualifiers of what type of raid they're talking about, they're probably talking about the type of raid where, you know, you have these lockout systems and, you know. So the question I think that we should probably talk about before we get to anything, uh, talk about raids, is do we want to, at least tonight, approach raiding from a Guild Wars classic standpoint and say, hey, we want elite zones? Or do we think that actual WoW rating is is what Guild Wars 2 needs? Neither. <laughs> Both. All of the Thanks, above. Evie. I think it's, um, again, that's sort of why I wanted to start with what constitutes a raid, which is we've sort of segued into that after talking about our experience with raids or whether or not they're even considered raids. Um, 
I would say the lowest common denominator for describing a raid is that it is extremely difficult content that requires coordination and ideally between a moderately large number of players above, well, doesn't have to be above the regular party size. Um, the Guild Wars 1, some of the Elite Zones were standard party size and some were larger towards the later ones that came out. Um, but I would say, in general, people usually are thinking much more than 5, more along the 10, 15, 20, and sometimes higher than that, although I don't think it's realistic to talk about higher than 20 people for a single raid in Guild Wars 2. I just don't think that would happen. I don't think it's realistic to talk about it in any game that's anymore. That's fairly period. true as well. So, would you guys agree that that's sort of a pretty a pretty bare-bones definition? I like it. I like yep. it up to the point of, like, extremely difficult, because difficulty is relative. Well, but it's still usually the most difficult in the game. Like, even if the point where you can get it down and do it yourself personally easy, it's still probably going to be the hardest in the game. The relatively difficult. Okay. Yes. Perhaps the most technically challenging, if we want to, like, be Within overly... the game. Yeah, yeah. Yes. With, yeah. Yay. Yep. Semantic wars. <laughs> It's important. To Absolutely. Clarify. I mean, again, yeah. and that's why you know to to say what we went back to earlier. That's why I feel like, and Evie feels like, this is gonna be kind of a fuster clock on the forums because uh, not only do things like tone of voice get lost on forums, but people's personal baggage. They don't have time or aren't going to air out all of their things like we're doing right here, saying this is my experience and this is what I consider these things to be. They're just gonna jump right in and say, I think raids should X. And that's going to be really difficult to parse through on the forums. A lot of different perspectives of what raids should be, what they should what they do, even are, how they should function. And I think we'll probably yeah. get a lot of a lot of posts that, rather than dealing with the greater concept of raids, we're going to see a lot of this is what a boss fight should be in the raid. And I don't think I think ArenaNet's pretty good at that, actually. If I, for serious though. I really hope that they're like, okay, this is the raid CDI. We want to talk about rewards. We want to talk about raid size, like something very specific. Otherwise, it's just going to be way too out there for anyone to be able to follow it. Yeah, that would be, uh, that's true. I think that they do have to really define what they're doing. So... I think what we can do, I think uh, Grabot just went silent. I think one thing that we should probably talk about then is how do you think that the overall raid should be laid out? First of all, if it's not instanced, it's not a raid. I agree, 100%. I think it needs to be instanced. I think everyone can agree on that, can't they? Yeah, no, I pretty much There's some, like, hardcore, old-school EverQuest people that'd be like, Raids were outdoors and in the world, and I'm just gonna be like, yes, but that was before WoW. That was actually 20 years ago. And and stuff. And and we have those in Guild Wars, called World Bosses. Exactly. Those exist already. Yep. Which, as far as we know, those aren't raids, right? Like, they've, they've said those are their first answer to raid, but... They are not specifically raids. Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. Um, gosh, there's, yeah, I mean, there's just there's just so much to talk about. Um, so breaking it down, let's talk about let's talk about so we, let's talk yeah, about lockouts and the idea of lockouts and 
what purposes they serve. I don't like them either. Um, Or at least not as many other games do them. And let's talk about what purposes they serve and the reason for them and what is good and what is bad about them because I feel like we can talk about that alone for a while. Okay. Lockouts, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it, I think they should exist. I think you should define what you mean by lockout. And big butt. Yeah, should they exist as uh, loot scaling, or should they exist as actual lockouts? I mean, what do you mean? Loot scaling. And by loot scaling, I mean you can only get the loot, like, once a day or something. Similar to how fractals are done. Now, fractals are actually a really good example of lockouts, right? Okay, because in, as far as my understanding goes, in many other MMOs, lockouts are used as a way to save progress as well. Like the idea that you are locked into this instance with these other people. And if you all leave the instance, it saves your progress and you have that week to complete it. And like you, if you go back in, you have to go back in with those same people and you will be returned basically to where you left off. They've actually, there's also lockouts that are very similar to that, where it will save your progress, and you can be like, okay, I want to keep this lockout, and you can go in with other people, and it'll like stay at that progress. Basically, you get saved to boss kills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's, I guess that's sort of, I, I think most of us are probably with you on ter- in terms of... Um, Lockouts in the sense of time gating for you can only get these rewards so quickly. Um, Which is kind of important because if people can just run the content over and over and over and over and over and get rewards every single time, it gives more incentive to developers to make those drop rates incredibly low. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I know that, I know that um, time gating is a really big hot button issue in this game and it's probably overused in some areas but i feel like i feel like fractals are fine in that sense like that doesn't bother me in fractals my my biggest issue with lockouts as they exist in some games is that um if you were to do a weekly progress save i would rather have it be that everybody that is in the raid that meets these checkpoints, we'll call them. Like, once they meet that checkpoint, they can go back into that raid with any other raid group from that checkpoint on, if that make like, rather... Mm-hmm. That, I, that's more acceptable as a lockout timer for, type of thing for me, because, again, the biggest thing for me is I just can't, um... Like, I just can't afford to schedule my time around especially a moderately large number of people you know, for an entire week to try and clear this content, but I can schedule out enough to do one chunk at a time. Yeah, which is guys... actually something where guild missions shined a bit because they have their weekly lockout and you can do them in one day. Or not even one day, like two yeah. hours. And it gave at least for a while guilds incentive to kind of group together and do something. It really gave you a rallying to... point. Which I think it's very important just for the health of a player base of any game is to have something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the same thing behind the mentality of doing having daily and monthly achievements is it keeps people logging in. Exactly. And similarly, having, 
you know, guild-based events keeps people logging in together as a guild. Um, the, uh, I guess the most difficult argument on time-gating, or rather on lockouts, is that there is, to some degree, a correlation to how difficult or how long you can make a raid based on the lockout or or lack thereof. You know, like, some people want raids that will take nine hours to beat, and you can't, you absolutely can't do that if you have to do it in one sitting, and so that sort of requires a longer lockout period, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, um... Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no like right answer on that, and it really depends on how the raids are yeah. developed more than anything yeah. else. Well, and as far as what would be an optimal, you know, to out. go to the to go to the Guild Wars one example, that was one of the coolest things about the Fissure in the Underworld is that there were many things to do, and it was unstructured in the sense that you could effectively go in whatever order and do however much of it you wanted. And the game didn't remember it. You know, if you went back, you were at ground zero again, but you didn't have to do the whole thing either. Or you could go to one particular area that your group was spec to fight well. Or Which does raise an interesting question. With lockouts, we're sort of assuming that it's actually going to save progress. Do you think that if it's an elite zone or even a traditional raid, do you think it should save progress or do you think they should be designing it like in Guild Wars 1 where it's a single sitting situation so that lockouts are almost well, a here's moot the point? Thing. Even in Guild Wars 1, eventually they moved to the point where there were lockouts and there was, well, not lockouts, but like the whole saving progression with DOA. That's true. And I didn't do a ton of DOA because was... I just didn't really enjoy it. But DOA Domain is... of Anguish. DOA being. Domain of Anguish. Was that really saving progression? You would have four elite... You had four elite zones, three that you can complete in any order, but they were pretty much full-on elite zones. I guess they weren't quite as big as Fisher of Lower Underworld. They weren't quite as big, but if you're going to call that a lockout, that's something I'm okay with. I don't think of it as a lockout as much Technically, as it is a lockout. Yeah, and see, definition. this is where the waters are guess, getting murky, because, yeah. yeah, I mean, again, it depends exactly. on how you yeah. define it, and... I don't like the idea of any system that requires you to be with a specific group of people for a given duration of time if it is going to be more than a one sitting proposition. I feel like that's very un Guild Wars. Like like the idea that if I started it with Eevee and, you know, Rabin, that I couldn't, you know, take that character and help Shungaku with it later in that week because I'm locked in with somebody else. Like that just doesn't that does feel yeah. against the Guild Wars philosophy, and, right? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that is how it is in some games. A lot of most games have moved away. Well, from that's that. good to hear. <laughs> yeah, that isn't super fun. So I think saving progress is definitely would be would be cool. I think there should be a way to do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe even make it so yeah, you can go help Shongaku and you'll get your drop rewards, but you might not necessarily get like the the you chest. Know, the, the... The blues, yeah, the the blue green chest that uh, exists by killing the boss, with maybe a potential yellow and green. That's right. Instead of your green. Uh, so okay, so there's, there, I mean, yeah, I mean that's again, yeah, I mean I feel like we're all kind of on the same page with with regards to this issue of lockouts. Like we're mostly okay with mm. the idea of you can only get the super reward once per week, but we don't want you know having that for a definition of a lockout. And potentially having the idea of a lockout for a progress saving mechanism, but I feel like none of us really 
like the idea of being shoehorned in to only be able to play with the same people for the whole week. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's another thing, and I don't, I think this is how it works in Terra, but correct me if anyone knows more about Terra than I do. There's some dungeons or raids or whatever you can do, and you can only do them like once a week, and then you have to wait. They have an actual cooldown, and I don't think that's good. I'd rather have, you know, a item that I can get once, and I can do the dungeons as many times as I want. I don't want content blocks. I want to be able to do the content again and again if I so desire. I don't need the reward every time, but... Speaking of content blocks, attunement. Because that's totally thing for... You guys don't know what attunement is at all, do you? I'm familiar with attunement. Basically, basically the concept is you you have to go and do XYZ outside of the raid before you can even open the door to the raid and go in. And most of the time, it's content that's been around for a while or content that is vastly easier. And it's it's basically just kind of like a checklist you have to do before you can go into a raid. Okay, so now that we've redefined that, do you like that or dislike that? I hate attunements when they're not done right. I don't feel like Guild Wars 2 lends itself towards even, like, approaching the attunement concept. The only the only instance in which I could see it making any kind of logical sense where it would be if a raid were tied specifically to a dungeon, like a Citadel of Flame raid, and having some sort of attunement related to having doing the dungeon paths in Citadel of Flame. Yeah. I guess technically every single explorable dungeon is an attunement thing where if you want to be able to open an explorable path you have to attune yourself by first completing the story mode you can go in with someone someone else can port can carry you in but to actually go in so basically every dungeon in guild wars 2 is an attunement the thing is because other people can take you in that makes it not an attunement attunement is something that a person has to do individually in order to be also to not to mention i actually think it's really dumb that each individual character cool. has to have completed the story mode because there's really no oh, point in completing the story mode eight or ten times just to be able to start that instance like i don't think it's a terrible yeah. idea in general but i again it's one of those things that it, it's always irritating to be if like, you, I want to play my Guardian tonight. All right, let's open it. Oh, I can't open it with my Guardian. Can any of you guys with the characters you want to play? No? All right, guess I've got to play my Warrior. Like, and, Well, actually, yeah. technically, you can log in with because they removed the leader thing. You can log in with your Warrior, go in. That's true. Get everyone else in, drop. And re-enter but that's with just the sort of reinforces my point. Is, it's like you can sort yeah. of use jank. To, yeah, you can just use jank to do just it. Make so it why not bound. just make it account bound in the first place? And like, you really of, need shoot like, Saitan with number two, three hundred times. <laughs> and speaking of like character progression, should be account bound. Lockouts should be account bound. If I've done three bosses and then two days later I'm going in with someone else, there's a good chance that there's already going to be two warriors or three guardians or whatever. So maybe I'm better off bringing another profession, which I'm going to have because I have eight alts because I'm crazy. Yeah, I I mean, I yeah, I can agree with that. And I should be able as to long do that. as the rewards are see, and that's where it gets into this challenging issue because time gating really hurts mm, people that play alts in a lot of ways because a lot of them are account bound time gates, and so you know um, character bound mm, a lot of them are 
account bound as well. Like you can't um like laurels, for example, or your guild missions or oh, yeah. like a lot of those things where if if you know, the fact that effectively the only way to get an ascended uh, amulet is with laurels like it i mean if you have alts that takes you you know potentially a year to get ascended amulets just because that's how time gating on an account works so depending on how good and or unique and or ubiquitous the rewards are um account wide reward locking if it is once per week could also be frustrating as well it's i mean but i do agree with what you're saying i don't think you ever want to make somebody feel like they can't change class to help the group i don't know it's complicated which also brings up well there's two things there there's the concept of roles and then there's the concept of rewards Mm mm-hmm what sort of i mean when we're talking so we've sort of covered our general concepts of, of what I should stop. No, that's fine. No, go ahead. Okay, no, 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 go ahead. You're on to something. Okay, so basically, yeah. we've talked about sort of our general philosophies on sort of things we like with raids, um, raid lockouts, and the different then form factors that you can see with raids, the, the WoW style versus the Guild Wars uh, 1 Elite Zones. Uh, with rewards, do you? how do you see rewards actually playing out in a raid situation in Guild Wars 2, and if Guild Raids are, in fact, the most difficult co- content. Okay, first of all, obviously they're going to have some kind of lockout on it time-wise, like to once a day, once a week, whatever, but I think it's very important that they don't go, if, if they do have those lockouts, that they don't go with a, you need to do the entire raid before you get your reward. Especially if they're going with anything that takes more than an hour or two hours. It should be a, okay, you've killed this boss, here's your reward for this boss. Killed another boss, here's your reward for this boss. Well, I think they already have a system where they can implement. Imagine having Fisher of Woe in Guild Wars 2, where all of those quests that you did um, led you to champion. So you're always going to get your champion bag, and then bringing it, culminating it to the end. Would you would find out essentially a world boss, Interestingly and that was your enough, They also implemented with Dry Top the uh, a, the event chests, which means that you could be getting just by completing events, you get the chests as well with yep. appropriate. Well, rewards. and I mean, similarly, you could have something like let's say we were to convert an existing dungeon into a raid, wherein you had to do say all of the explorable paths and something else. I mean, obviously, it's not what you'd actually do, but effectively, you could get your daily or weekly or whatever um, tokens from each boss along the way, and then, you know, and, and whatever rewards come with them, and obviously, if you can do more of them per week, then you will get more rewards because you are doing them, but each one is also giving you something tangibly useful, um, you know, more than just a regular mm-hmm. random, you know random two blues and a green and i think that's one reason why you should have fairly significant lockouts on rewards and possibly like evie was saying even account bound lockouts simply because one issue that happened at guild wars launch is that people found the easiest bosses first bosses in a in a dungeon they would go and kill them reset the dungeon go and kill them reset the dungeon and you would you know you were doing like three minute five minute runs 
into a dungeon, and you were just getting, you know, the little, the marks out the wazoo, the tokens out the wazoo, and that broke basically the reward structure for it. And so they do need to, obviously, if the if the raid itself is each boss is a significant challenge to defeat, then that sort of negates that issue. And then if you have a weekly lockout on rewards or even a three-day lockout on rewards, people aren't just constantly running the same boss over and over yeah, and, again. And it it also goes into, like, the mindset of progression because it's kind of a big thing with raid culture. Like, if they're going to make raids in the sense of, oh, you're not going to finish this entire raid the first time you run it. You're going to have to work on this boss and then work on this next boss each of those bosses has to have some kind of reward to incentivize incentivize people to actually do it without com- knowing they're not going to complete the entire raid. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I mean, like I said, the that frustrating balance is going to be to find that balance point between people that want to gear more than one character. For example, if it is a gear based reward and not something that's an account based reward, which an idea could be account based rewards that take a long time, but you could use on all your characters, which could be a completely different angle to look at. With that, they could implement, they, they could implement, um, they could do that by giving the chests that we've seen already, the uh, ascended chests where you get to choose your own set of armor. What if that was, you know, the reward, your weekly raid reward or whatever it was, was that. That way you would be able to gear your alts as you choose and not like, yeah. oh well, crap, I mean, that I depends. That is going to depend on how long it, how long they decide to make the rewards take. You know, um, like if they balance it around one player gearing their stuff and say they want it to take four months to like gear one character from the raid if you're on say weekly lockouts like that's gonna be miserable even if you can get stuff for your alts um but if you make it you know too easy then a lot of raiders are also gonna dislike that but i guess sort of what i was more thinking would be maybe some sort of completely new style of reward um like aesthetic customizations that are um how would i describe this I mean, effectively, maybe something like a new item slot that is, you know, I don't know, applies some sort of cool effects to you that you can build up from doing raiding, and like all of your characters get to use that. And well, I think here's the thing: I think aesthetic customizations based on a certain raid or maybe raiding in general is really cool because then you get to show, oh, look, I'm elite, I can do this, I've done this a lot, and I'm good at it. When there's a lot of different options. There's only going to be one raid, particularly when they first release it. There's going to be people that are just going to be like, oh, hey, I, I don't want this. And there's going to be a limited population. But you could say the same thing with any other existing and reward, like Ascended Gear. It, so but with, there's yeah. much more appeal with Ascended Gear. Now, the interesting thing with Ascended Gear, though, I think that most of us are assuming that the that the tier of gear that you would get out of this is ascended gear. Like if you're if going it's for not ascended raid, gear, they might as well not bother. If it's That's, not ascended gear or something completely different, super ascended or, gear. That's where I disagree. But I, I'd rather play the game for content, and I don't care about the war, rewards as much. And when you're talking about um, different uh, alts, you know, gearing different alts, and it maybe taking a year, Grybok. I think that's part of the drive for me is I don't mind it taking that long because I enjoy running the content well, with think, the community. 
I and think here's my guild. One thing in an ideal world, in an ideal world, it would work that way. But and this is goes into the problem with Twilight Arbor right now. Um, once people run that really good content one time, maybe five times or whatever, if they don't have a reason to go back, they're not going to go back. Yeah. Well, and, and I think I mean I think you're hitting on something good, Grybox, simply because of the fact that. If they're not going to add more tiers above Ascended gear, if this first raid is to get everyone up to Ascended functionality, which I would assume that they'd start first few bosses would be balanced around, like, you know, exotic gear, and then as you gear up into full Ascended by running the raid, running fractals, whatever, that the bosses then transition into being uh, based on full, rather than exotic, being ascended. based on Ascended. And then if and then they from release that point a... on, they could release everything based off of tuning for Ascended. But then we get to the issue, though, where if everyone's geared and ascended after the first raid, why do you run the second raid? And I think Grybox's idea is is fantastic. It gives you, you know, you do the visual things. You get various, you know, upgrades and changes and maybe a new way to, maybe a new appearance, maybe a whole new dungeon set appearance or raid set appearance per raid so you can show it off. They and it works too, because at that point there'll be multiple raids and hopefully they won't just like rehash the ascended gear that already exists for the existing raid. So people will be like, okay, I like the way this raid looks. So I'm going to go here or I like the way this one looks. So I'm going to do this one instead. Yeah. I mean, potentially it's the, the problem for me is that if, if it takes, if it takes extremely long to get something on one character and you, it doesn't get subsequently faster to do it on multiple characters. It makes me just not... It makes me stop wanting to do it at all, because I, I'm i the type of person that likes to play a lot of characters, and, like, it just... I'll, like, I would... If... if <sighs> it comes down to timing yeah. balance. If the lockouts are a week and they're particularly long, then I actually think that they should be character bound, especially if the raid is something that can be done in one or two hours. Yeah. The weird thing about Guild Wars 2 is that it is a game with leveling, at least it was initially, where leveling encouraged, and especially how long it has been since you know any change in, in character uh, building, it was a game that was designed around alts, people who play alts. It was an alt-centric game in many ways, where you can play, you know, six or seven characters up to max, uh, just and because you have multiple storylines, right. Supposedly for personal story. Well, yeah, but you sort of had that, and there was that incentive. There was some level of incentive of, okay, you got this guy. He's in exotics really fast. Now go, you can go work on another one. You can go level him through WW, do a few different things. There were alternate ways, alternate routes of leveling, and so there was a lot of stuff that you could do to actually build alts and the game was in many ways designed around that and it feels like a lot of stuff has shifted in the last year away from being alt centric simply like with the new uh new player experience with the insane drop rates on some things where you're just like oh wow you really want us to just focus on getting stuff with one character don't you but then they do things like the character wardrobe and all this other stuff so it's sort of a weird situation where you've got and they make ascended gear count bounds yeah, and so it's stuff like that. So it's kind of interesting. Just... I feel like they should design raids with alts in mind. I think that just because so many of their players right now have altitis. I mean, how many characters do you have, Robin, at eighty? Um, I have. Okay, Evie's got seven. eight, which surprises me. Well, 
No, I have five at eighty, but I have eight characters. Okay, Grybok, how many? I have do you eight have? at eighty, one at thirty something, and then a couple others that are just alts that I haven't played very much. I have nine at eighty and one and at Kate forty. Has two yeah. of everything. Like yeah. to give an example of the of the, you know, really grindy, really grindy stuff. Like fractals when they first released, being character bound. Uh, I liked fractals, but not enough to do it more than like forty or fifty times, which is what I did it with. And the prospect of doing that so many times, like having to do it ten times before a character could even get an ascended ring as a drop, made me just say, "I like I just refuse to do it ten more times on an alt just to get an alt to be able to do this content." And like it doesn't mean that fractals aren't fun for me, but when you put up that big of a barrier, it just it makes me do it a couple times while it's fun and then just say screw it. Whereas when that when those when those barriers aren't there and so I can just like work because... towards things because I think they're neat rather than for mechanical requirement or advantage, it doesn't have as yeah. big of a barrier for me. Yeah, and barriers in general. It, it, is your block though? Is your block though because you want to get that ascended ring for that next character, but you just don't want to do it all again? Because if that's it, I mean, I feel that in leveling all to doing your dailies, getting your laurels is another good way to get your. Uh, you have different avenues to get your. But it takes gear, you like eight laurels fractals. to get one character geared up and ascended, and yeah. I have eight. And when yeah. fractals, and when fractals first came out and was character locked. There was only one way to get your ascended stuff to progress in fractals, uh-huh. and those items that you were getting, if you ran it on another ca- on your other character, they couldn't pass stuff to your to your character, and there was just no other way to do it. It was really rough. So I think we're reaching different levels yeah. of burnout. Maybe I don't know because I am a lot more casual than some of the other people in in the guild. And I like where it's at because I'll get on, I'll take a break for two months, I'll get on. But I'm right. constantly and getting laurels. I, I mean, think helped with that burnout situation. The thing is, mm-hmm. when we first played, there was a lot of people playing, and so the raids, if they set up the raids, they're going to have to make sure that any reward structure is not a burnout type. And so I do think that they do have to build it with an account in mind rather than a character basis. Exactly. And, and they have been moving in that direction yeah. where things are account bound rather than uh, a character bound. And speaking of like blocks and barriers and whatnot, it's I also think it's very important that there isn't a huge setup to go into a raid for each individual person or even as a group outside of getting the people together to do it. Because that just didn't de-incentivizes people further to not do it and a very good example that's fairly recent is Wildstar because of the crazy attunement that game had the raids were nowhere near as successful as people thought they were going to be yeah I definitely think barrier to entry needs to be fairly especially right now needs to be fairly straightforward for your guild for guild wars 2 it needs to be basically non-existent so then something else that i think when you're when you're focusing on account-based rating i think one thing that would be really important is looking at roles and we probably should talk about this more 
in the future because we're what how long have we been how long are we recording hour, i was just about to say that yeah, hour i was 15. wondering if we should move yeah. to the mailbox quick question though because this is something evie rob and i have talked about out of a show a little bit actually quite a bit we spent probably an hour roles in it do you feel like there should be a situation where they force like i like you have to bring a condi you have to bring a buff stack or you have to bring a a white berserker dps or do you think that more each fight should have something interesting for example like the ooze fight in the second ooze fight where you have an ooze that's following someone around in twilight arbor and then you have the boss that's throwing fire and you have to soak it up with the ooze otherwise he'll cover the whole floor but then you can't let the ooze touch you because then it'll explode and kill everyone and there's the increasing dot that goes up as you're and the people then swapping who's being chased by the ooze based on here's the thing though because that ooze and those kind of mechanics don't require those mechanics don't require classes. I mean, it requires just execution of the game, which yeah. I think is and good. And the thing with the like the ooze, the example you gave, because the ooze like basically randomly swaps aggro. That's not really a role; it's just a mechanic. If that ooze would pick someone, and you could pick who it picked, and it stuck to them, like consistently, then it would be amazing. You could have that one person that's designed just to do that. So that's interesting because there is an example of that in the in the living story when you're at uh, Fort Salma. There is the role essentially of one person kill it. Like there's people who are killing things that show up, but then there's the one person usually that you assign to shepherding the the minions. And that is a role mm-hmm. that can be fulfilled by a single person because it is a set thing that anyone can do. And each person can do it a lot of different ways. I think, Robin, what, you've done it like four different ways? I've done it three or four times. I've done it with my elementalist using, you know, wind knockbacks and damage output with fire. I've done it with my uh, stealth, uh, my thief using stealth. I've done it with my Mesmer using knockbacks, um, a little bit of stealth. Well, I tried stealth. It didn't work well with them, admittedly. Um, but um, mainly just images and distraction. So it's interesting there's enough mechanics for different classes that it can be done. Um, it, there's not just one way to do it. There may be an easier way to do it. And I think my Mesmer was easiest, but then again, my Mesmer is my main. But I wasn't, I, I wasn't unable exactly. to do it's it very with my other classes. When they do mechanics like that, that it's not a mechanic that, oh, hey, we need the best conditions available for you to be able to do this because that's pretty much going to make it where only necromancers and engineers can do it. I think the important thing to keep in mind or design goal would be to actually make other roles matter, but to have them affect you in different ways. So not so much to say that you need somebody focusing on control or focusing on like denial, but to say that that will make x part easier or affect the battle in like y way where if you have a different composition you will have like you'll have different struggles but also different solutions depending on the roles of people in your party um and i don't know exactly how you would design it in a fair or interesting way the biggest issue well it's kind of like to use the uh when i i think when you're designing something like that is a lot of people will get stuck with the idea that, oh, hey, the roles are 
sure. this trinity. It's support, damage, and control. And it doesn't have to be that way. You can have people that are spec for just damage all out. But this particular fight, they're using their tools within that role in very different ways to just execute basically just... How do I word this? Sub-rolls? Well, this kind of goes to what I was going to say. Well, think the guy, Brabin. It's like... It's like when you... Uh, going back to... Fisher of Woe in Guild Wars 1. I remember the first couple times we did that, we would just get wrecked, and so we our solution was to get a bonding monk, where you know the monk buffs the, the tank, they can't die. That worked for us. It was extremely slow. As we got better and realized that we need to figure out aggro patterns, we were able to bring higher DPS characters, builds, classes, whatever, and you know just watch our aggro. As long as we didn't get two of those um, groups that have berserker axes, we'd be fine, and we'd clear it much faster. And you know, one way maybe better than another way in time, yeah. but there's multiple um, ways to do it. Yeah, it's it's a it's challenging. It's challenging to compare these things because gearing and building so, in Guild Wars One was much much faster and easier, um, and more convenient. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. not the case in Guild Wars Two, which is always which is the biggest issue when you're looking at just rating in general as far as designing yeah. the content. Because if you're requiring someone to, like, a group to have a condition mancer, mm-hmm. basically, there's not that many condition mancers. And if you're only having that condition mancer be useful for one fight, he's going to feel useless for the rest of it. And it, eventually he's going to burn out for the rest of the ratings and be like, why am I playing this character when I'm only good at one fight? Yeah, I mean, as opposed to how it is now where you just feel useless all the time anyway. I don't know. I answer. had that feeling... <laughs> kind hey, of. I'm looking to me. Yeah, that, me too. I played that role where... <laughs> well, I did that a lot in Guild Wars 1 where I only had one role for specific fights, and yeah, I never felt that way, so maybe I'm weird. You had one role for a specific fight, but then were you completely useless for the rest of the zone? When we were doing... Uh... Well, yeah, but domain language yes. is like you're built. Like, there's going to be one. Like, you're building up towards that key fight that you're built for. Like everything that's yeah, that would act, that would bore me actually. Anyway, one reason why I ran minions. Anyway, I'm going to move us into the mailbox it, because we're almost else. an hour and a half in. We'll keep yeah, talking. We'll have next time. Eric back on the show again because you Woo. know it's been fun. Epic episode. <sighs> anyway, mailbox. Uh, I guess I'll just read it. Uh, this is from Shadow Dragon NS. It says, "So, does the host who's a fan of SAO parentheses Sword Art Online have any characters with the same name as the character from that show? By the way, in case they weren't aware, there's a new season of it now as well. They were originally referring to me because I made a reference to it in uh." the past episode that had opt on it although i know at least eric watches it uh great show evd watch it also yeah it is a good show i haven't seen the new season because i don't watch anything until the season is done okay well it's so just, I can just finished on it. i think. have finished i'll get into it in a second oh the others i don't i don't uh i do not have any characters named after the show's characters i don't think any of us do uh we all have our naming conventions yeah already. i 
do watch uh, I do I am aware of the new season. I have been watching it for Evie's information. There's one more episode in this arc similar to how there were two arcs in the first season. So the season isn't over. Well, right. It is only halfway through the first season. But the, the arc season. is about to end next episode from the first arc. Episode 14 will end the first arc. 14 or 15. And Yeah, something like that. Oh yeah, it would be 15 cuz it was just 14. Great show though. A lot of I like the uh weird sort of stuff that it has to do with like the psychological effects of people getting stuck inside an MMO. Yep. Yep. So, weird moral choices. Fun show. Raven, you watch anime much? Um, I've not seen this one. Okay. So, if you're going to talk anime, I loved Brotherhood. It was the best. Oh, I mean, if you don't so like good. anime, um, you need to watch it. You have to not like stories to not like this. Yeah, Full Metal yeah. Alchemist Brotherhood <laughs> plus 5 million. Amazing. All the upvotes. Uh, all right, Eric. Since you're on the guest, you get to read the next one because uh, I'm just gonna make you do it. <laughs> Last time I did, uh, I read one. I had to read it as a woman. On I remember that show. Uh, what was that? Yeah, that was a great show. That was on Chronicles of Tyria. Chronicles of yeah. Tyria. That was fantastic. Anyways, this is a man writing, so I can just read using my normal voice. <laughs> At least I'm assume that Dyrone is a man. And it's it's Tools Ranger. He says, hey, it's Tools Ranger again, a.k.a. Dyrone. I wanted to add my two cents on the whole change to traits you discussed in your latest podcast. It seems like Anet is trying to throw back to Guild Wars 1, G-Dub 1, when you had to track down bosses to gain elites. However, having two professions and being able to swap the secondary, you had a huge, huge number of abilities to collect, and it felt like a fun addition to mapping and discovery, much like Pokemon. The constant bouncing around in Guild Wars 2 to get traits while still trying to level up is really frustrating to my friends who just started the game a few weeks ago. They also feel like these traits are essential to completing their character rather than an extra options, unlike Guild Wars 1. Short answer, just give us back secondary professions, Anet. It oh, wow, that would, actually uh, goes break the game. further down the page. We just wrote comments as oh, an oh. answer. Yeah, well, we're going to oh. tackle this one first, so let's go. All right, well, all right, okay. we'll tackle this first half. Go ahead, Raven. And I'll read the next one in a different voice. <laughs> All right. So, because that makes um, sense. I'm on board with secondary professions, but I don't think that's going to happen because that would be a balancing nightmare. Exactly. Thank you, Evie. balancing nightmare. And the trades going back to a throwback, I like that. I wish they would have done that from launch. That way people couldn't complain about it now because it seems like if it had been that way from the beginning... I would well, you still complain be about complaining about it. I would complain about its cost. Oh, its cost no, is immense. Its cost wouldn't be so bad if it's, it's, its cost would be so bad if it was a account unlock. Oh, absolutely! If it was an account unlock, that would be wholly different. Yeah. And also, you know, we talked about in the notes about how you could just level to eighty in Edge of the Mists, and you know, then you are in, unimpeded going around the map getting these traits because some of them are like over in Fireheart Rise, or it's complete story mode. Hurrah! They're all over the place, and but the thing is, and. A lot of these traits, like leveling up without those traits, is kind of for some classes. For some classes, yes. I've leveled to see. I've have one of every class, and one of my most recent levels is a guardian. And so the guardian is my only character that's new enough that I have to go and get these traits since I've played since launch. But 
I don't mind, but then again, it's a guardian. Guardians. I was gonna say I could play a guardian with no traits. Yeah. But I feel like thieves and mesmers are in a whole world of pain without any traits. I don't know. I feel like Like, I could have done it with my mesmer. I'm so glad those are the first two professions I did because if I didn't have them already, I would never. I mean, now that we're good at the game, I'm sure I could. But back when I started, like I don't. I, it would. It was already hard. I think it would have added some extra challenge for challenge for me personally. I wouldn't. Yeah. It wouldn't bother me that much. But uh, I think Rangers is also leveling and challenge should the, go together. The thing is that well, I think I, level should be taken out of the game completely. But I would. I would also be fine with that. Um. But yeah, I think. Oh, you achieved one character at eighty. Here, all the other ones. Yeah, are 80. I think that if they made some substantial changes to it, it wouldn't bother me as a concept nearly as much. But those changes are large enough in scope, aside from maybe doing the account unlock. Like once you've gotten it, you know, once you've gotten account number or trait one in line one, you get it for everybody. Like that would probably be the easiest one for them to do. But as, barring that, I feel like the changes that they would have to make to them for me to enjoy it as it currently stands are more substantial than they're willing to do. I'm not against having to unlock traits in a scavenger hunty fashion. Um, it, it, explo- it, 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 it opens up the world more. It just should be appropriate. Here's an level. interesting concept. What if, you know how in Guild Wars 1 they eventually introduced the elite tomes so that if you had already unlocked right. a elite skill on one character, you could access it on the other, on any of the other yep. ones? What if you had something like that, where every time you complete a trait challenge, instead of them saying, oh, you have completed a trait challenge, you've unlocked this specific one, you get like a tome. And so you can pick and choose which ones you do, and then you can leave the annoying ones out, and you just have like, you know, a bunch of tomes. Yeah, maybe. I mean, the... Wait, like, the thing with tomes is they were kind of a, like, currency <laughs> thing. Well, yeah, they were, currency, yeah. But like, yeah. you bought them, yeah, and... They, they can you draw. can already buy the traits now point. with skill points and gold. So that kind of exists, but the thing is it's such an exorbitant cost that no one in their right mind is going to do that unless they have like ridiculous amounts of gold that so, they should just give me. I, I added it up, and it's 50 gold and 500 skill points to unlock your traits is. and skills on one-click character. So my two cents just to wrap this up, that's two, two legendary. Mighty Sunshine's wraps up. They should either make it account unlock when you get it. You know, you do it on your mesmer. You've got it on all. You've unlocked the traits for every class. Or mm-hmm. they should substantially reduce the cost. Or, I think that would reasonably fix it. Or substantially increase or like give variety instead of trait one. Uh, trait one in line one being the same challenge for everyone. If you'll recall, before launch, originally, things like uh, skills and or traits were going to be profession-specific. So, like, a necromancer would have to go and find some, mm-hmm. like, ancient tome buried in Which a crypt somewhere. Which is the skill point system that we find on the old map. Well, sort of, but they were, yeah, were profession-based. Yeah, they were profession-based. Mm-hmm. And so, having something like that, where each profession has their own sort of tailored and, you know, unique feeling... Um, uh, set of tasks to do that that sort of would take you to these areas of the game would be more tolerable to do that on multiple characters because you'd have multiple different sets but like going to Fireheart Rise and clearing it on every character is really boring you know uh, more than one time so but anyway yeah but then you make sure that you can get peaches that's the grass peaches 
Yeah. Anyway, I think we uh, agree. I feel like there uh, needs to be some sort of change. I think we all agree that there needs to be some yeah. sort of change to it. And there's a lot of ways that it could go that would make people a lot more happy with it. Also, I'm okay with doing it once. Right. Yeah. So, Shungu, if you could read the next part, and I have got the possible answer for the second half of the mail. Spirit mentioned different groups in Dub v Dub, such as scouts, havoc teams, etc. I recently swapped my main from Ellie to Guardian, and I didn't like the feel of Ellie, and I wanted something more tanky in Dub v Dub. As you can imagine, changing for these from these two very disparate classes makes me miss my long range AOE, and I ended up charging into Zerg balls with my GS all the time when I just get tired of waiting. And th- any thoughts on the strengths of Guardians in Dub v Dub? They seem to make poor scouts compared to Warriors and Thieves, and they do a lot of sitting around in epic Zerg clashes due to all the AoE control in the Dead Man Zone. So far, I have been using my Scepter to bind the tanks that pull that bowl into our Zerg, but they seem to block these a lot, and the staff is super awkward. I am just a might buff timer. I'm not all bedazzled in ascended gear yet, so I understand I am pretty undergeared, and my experience may be very different in about two to three months after I get some loot. You don't necessarily have to answer this on the podcast, just wondering. Okay, here's the thing. Roles in Worldly World are pretty strict. Depending well, on I'm going to go with this question because and... I've recently gotten into Worldly World a little bit more, and I'm even um, in a Worldly World guild. And, and you've been running with Guardian in mm-hmm. this guild. A and I've been running with Guardian. Guardian, I do believe, correct? Um, not underleveled. But about the, about the comment and saying you need Ascended Gear, it's nice, but I don't think you're as undergeared as you think you are because there's not that much disparity between the two. If you know, you've got a 20-man Zerg against a 20-man Zerg, and they are of equal uh, skill level. Obviously, the ones with ascended gear are going to win, but not everyone in World of World has ascended gear. So, you know, work on it, but don't stress on it too much. Um, and just put a disclaimer, as I already did on this, I'm new to World of World, so my my uh, advice may not be perfect, but I'm always of the idea that you should find what works for you. I mean, use the meta as a reference, and if you get into the uh, World of World, system on your server you're going to be able to find communities most likely and people that can help you and they will you know point you towards the meta and do what they're doing but you have to find what works for you and i think that guardians can be good scouts but it you need extra speed so that what comes in there is superior runes of speed or superior runes of the traveler they're more expensive but they give you um kind of like a they give you plus all stats kind of like the celestial armor and when you're scouting with a guardian and you've got that extra speed, plus, you know, your um, blocks, you could use retreat, which also gives you your, uh, your, uh, what's that? Yes, your swiftness. Thank you. Swiftness. You've got a lot of survivability and you can still move fast. And I like, what I like to do when I'm scouting is, you know, get the attention of a Zerg and maybe an unfocused Zerg. And you get them towards you. And a lot of times you can survive because you've got at least three blocks, depending on what uh, utility skills you're using. And when they pull, you pull them away for a door or something, and even if they do kill you, you stop them from doing the objectives, which can, you know, defend a keep or such. Again, you know, find what you like, what you do, but I think that Guardians can be good, good scouts. And here's the thing. It all depends on your attitude towards it, because me, for instance, going into World v. World with a Guardian, I would not be tackling it the same way Raven does. Because in my eyes, Guardians 
don't make good scouts because you sacrifice too much in order to have the speed that is necessary to be a scout. However, guardians are very good at other things. Well, you're a different kind of scout. You're a survivable scout as opposed to a stealthy scout, which was a thief can do. Well, warriors are definitely not stealthy scouts, and they're still... Really but they're fun. more survival than a thief, so you're in the same same class as a guardian. But they have the same category, I suppose. Inherent, but they have the inherent movement. That's, that's the main thing. Uh, with that said, however, guardians do make really good support in the world of the world with uh, your might timer as you... So, yeah, and touching on that question, you are right. If you are in a structured Zerg, or a platoon as I like to call it, you are going to be listening to your driver, your commander, and you're going to be doing might when he says, you're going to be, you know, doing those buffs that you're supposed to be doing. And that's kind of what you are when you're in that structured platoon. If you want to be in a Zerg, and that's not what you enjoy doing, then honestly, you probably shouldn't be playing a Guardian. If you want to be effective. That's my two cents. And I think, yeah, you should pick what you enjoy, though. If you can figure out a way to enjoy the Guardian, yeah. Yeah, I don't think... I don't think those uh, speed runes are sacrificing that much, though, because that 25% speed boost helps you even if you're with your Zerg. Um, it lets you stay with them. And if you're guarding, you're a frontliner anyway, so you need to be right there with your driver. Yeah. But the thing is, it's, it's, it's an efficiency min-max thing where you want to maximize your strengths as much as possible. And a guardian's strength is not movement. So it's, there's two approaches. There's either maximizing well, get into your, to the best what you can Getting somewhere to drop a might in time is a strength. Weaknesses. Well, I think there's also, what we're looking at here is guardians are really strong across the board. They're a very strong class. And they are strong enough to where you can look at them in two ways. You can say, I'm going to push them to their limits for optimizing their strengths or you can look at them and say okay this is a really strong class so i'm going to minimize the weaknesses that it has so that it's just inherent strength shine mm. and i think that's what you exactly. see with with how Rabin's playing it is essentially he's saying look i can play this well and if you can play your guardian well and do and get your virtues off and all of that and play it within the concept of yourself you know, for survivability and that, and then minimize the weaknesses, you can play a lot of diverse things with, with Guardian just because it's such a strong class. You could not, obviously, necessarily be a frontliner with a thief. And so, adding a bunch of toughness and vitality on a thief is not, like, Eevee. the best option. Just because, you know, there's that. I mean, I suppose you could, but it would be a bit crazy. It Adding toughness and vitality to a thief is such a waste. So... <laughs> See, so just straight up, it's a waste. So it illustrates the example, yes. Yeah, but, so you, you, I mean, you could probably do it with a thief, but guardians just have a really great base, whereas thieves, their base is damage, generally. But I mean, ultimately, I would say, find something you like and go with that. And when you yeah. like it, and you can flush it out, you that's how metas are made. And the cool thing there is, if you find something you like, and, you're, and you feel comfortable with it, 
you're actually going to be better than playing the meta because what you're going to do is you're going to fill your role better just because you're exactly. more comfortable with it and you'll and you'll your performance will actually be higher than if you were playing this role that you just don't enjoy. So, we also got a Twitter that I when I was tweeting because I took over the Twitter for a while. That's uh, right. It's from Smokey. Most, yeah, from Smokey. Smokey42356, which is weird because that's the same combo on my luggage. <laughs> At least it's anyway. not one, two, three, four. <laughs> that's my other luggage. That's my yeah, that's right. Um Is it a TSA lock? So they don't destroy your zipper? No. No. No, I didn't want them to just chew on my zipper. Like just last time I went through it. there they just chewed on it. It was horrible. It's completely off topic, but I have to say this. Every time I've gone flying, they always take my combs. <laughs> you have nice combs that you bring with you? No, they're like $2 plastic combs. That's weird. And I have them just like in my suitcase. And they take them. And they just take them. So there's probably some TSA agent in Jacksonville that has like 20 combs on his desk. So speaking of, you know, flying to new locations, one of the things Smokey pointed out to us was that there are some new data mine uh, location names added. Uh, are those new? I don't know. I guess so. Um, Island of Tears, Colloquy of Heroes, Crystal and Grotto, Misty Woods, and Wandering Island. I thought those were all from the from the Halloween content. I, they could be. I am not familiar. I would wager at least one of them probably is. <laughs> Yeah, Misty Woods sounds very. I thought Misty Woods was the one, uh, one of the events. I think the Island of Trials is where you fight the. Uh, isn't that where you where you do the Reapers run, whatever? One, where you it's like the Reapers and they're turning is people. It? I don't know. I'm um, not sure. Maybe I'm wrong. I I just thought that it was. Uh, Misty not, Woods sounds familiar to me, but I don't know about the others. Although it doesn't have the clock tower in it, which is. So oh, it might be different. As far as the non-Halloween-y things, this sounds very... Uh, how's, what's the word I'm looking for? Crystal Sea to me. Oh. So you think we might be uh, going a bit south of... Uh, south of the It does seem Crystal Desert-like, doesn't it? Because it was the heroes, the crystalline. Yeah. Everybody gave me crap when I said that vision looked like the Crystal Desert. <laughs> hey, hey, I said it before oh, you did. Oh, snap, except, wait, what? Don't give me that crap. I don't remember you saying it before me, but that's all right. I'm not sure that that's how it went. We were talking about it in the episode, and I was just like, guys, guys, what are you talking about? This is obviously pointing at the Crystal Desert. I, I, I'm going to find the recording. You should do that. Oh, just man. to prove it. Fork down. All right. Fork down. That's fine. Uh, anyway, the last thing uh, Smokey sent to us was information on the reason why the Watch Knight tonic got removed from dungeons. And apparently it is because there was an exploit wherein you could activate the tonic to regain your skills in situations where they should have been disabled from doing things like picking up, uh, picking up bundles or things like that. Um, and that's because the tonic was unlike every other transformation because it let you keep your normal skills and things like that. So apparently Which is what I wish it. my town clues town clothes could do still, but <sighs> yeah. yeah. Um 
Anyway, so thanks for the heads up, and... I'm surprised they haven't got rid of town clothes, uh, in general, and just made them outfits. Yeah. Well, but then what will we they... have an awesome tonic for? Yeah, no, right, some, yeah, some of them are tonics. Some of them yep. are tonics, and some got turned into Well, into all the outfits. character starter town clothes are... Oh, yeah, yeah. ...are weird. They are a weird thing, though. Anyway, yeah. if you're still listening, thank you for being with us this long. This is yeah. what happens when Shongaku or aka Eric comes back. I just make long episodes. It is in my blood. To be fair, we're also talking about such a nebulously gigantic topic that there's no way to talk about it in a short period True. of time. Maybe so. it's maybe it's the content that I choose to tackle is just so in depth. But but guys, guys. Yes, Evie. Yes, Evie. Cast cast. Yeah. The podcast in the form of casts about other podcasts in which we're talking about casts, and so we're gonna cast. You totally just Man, butchered well, that. Okay, no. you can do it. No, because you ruined it. Well, if I can't make well, Kate angry or laugh once in an episode, then I've done something wrong. You so decide which it is. Cast. This week on CastCast, we just found out that Jonathan Sharp, which is a game designer at AK, particularly in... A.K.A. Chaplin. Or Chap. Mm-hmm. That is a game designer at Anet, particularly for... PvP, just skill balance and whatnot, has left ArenaNet after working there for eight years. Yep, sad. He's one of the big names that I recognize. I really like the guy, just the work he's done and everything, and I wish him the best in his future endeavors. Yep, and I want to, you know, I want to just say it to any of our listeners who maybe are hearing this just from here for us the first time, I don't uh, consider this to be any like bad thing or any dispute or anything. I think it's a perfectly natural thing. It happens all the time with developers. Um, After eight yeah. years, I'm like, dude, go do something just moving else. on. You probably, need yeah, it. totally. And that's that's what it seems like. Seems very friendly separation, but ready to move on to new things. So we wish him the best and sad to see him go, but that's how it goes. This is just proof that Anet needs to, like, make another studio and just work on another game so that everyone gets tired of Guild Wars 2 can go make Charm again. <laughs> yes! <laughs> oh hey, my god. That would, that game would be amazing. So anyway, uh, another thing, uh, the Overwolf app, um, which is a third-party mod, sort of, right? That uh, lets you do stuff with your overlay in-game. It's an overlay thing that's now kind of, sort of, not really bundled with TeamSpeak. And, right. Yeah, it's, it's, it came out of nowhere, and then it's, like, everywhere. Yeah, so some people are coming up with some applications that could totally jive with role players, uh, wherein you can use the system to put unique quest markers that show up in your in-game UI and all sorts of things like that. And so you could effectively see possibly things like custom quests that users design, um and inload them in the game yourself that, you know, obviously don't do anything officially, but you could have all sorts of interesting applications with that, so that's really neat. We'll put a link in the show notes. And in interesting news bits, apparently candy corn is a naturally occurring element in Tyria, and thus a possible attunement for elementalists, and could even become maybe an elder dragon. I approve of this, as long as snowflakes become one, too. 
But it's not oh, wait, it's just mean, ice elemental. It's just ice. Does this mean the Mad King Thorn would be like his highest priest? Oh snap, maybe Mad King Thorn <laughs> is the candy cane dragon. <laughs> you mean the candy, candy corn, corn dragon? dragon? Whatever. Yes. There are yeah. candy cane elementals too, so maybe the natural enemies, maybe there's like a long running war. Oh my, oh my gosh. goodness, I want to meet a candy corn and a candy cane gin. So this means. You knew I had to get there at some point when we started talking about elementals. Yeah, you, you had to. But Grenth and Duena are just puppets in this whole thing then. Well, of course. Um. Anyway, funny funny link on Reddit. We'll also put that in the show notes. Also, big shout out to Pink Day in LA. Um, it's a great event. It's going to be on October 25th, which very well may be just a day or two after our next episode is aired. Um, there's going to be a link to the show. It's always fun to go and hang out with people and put on pink dye and, you know, celebrate breast cancer awareness. Dance in LA. Yeah. Do all the wonderful events and maybe win another Mr. Sparkle so that everyone else can buy it for $50 later on. I'm not bitter. <laughs> yep. Um, so anyway, shout out for that. And as I just sort of alluded to, um, our hosts are going to be several of us in a state of flux for the next week or two. So our schedule is going to be a little bit weird. So we're having this episode and then we're going to have another one in about a week and a half and then we should get back to more slightly regular scheduled programming. Yay! So, anyway. Um, and to close out the show, we just want to leave with this little sonnet from one of our comments. Yeah, that's right. Our spam, actually, our spam yeah. sonnet. Should we open this with a yeah. Wheel of Morality? Uh, I feel like Wheel of Morality should be after this beauty. Okay, I actually have yeah. Wheel of Morality yeah. in relation to this beauty, so... Okay, I, I got okay. this though. Many anglers avoid the use of whole eggs altogether because all, they, although they contain all kinds of essential nutritional components, fish are obviously going to recognize them from previous egg-containing baits. Plus, eggs affect digestion in various ways. Leave your windows open a few hours a day, and then you get to clean the back soot off of the floors. But have you ever thought about living in your boat full-time? Who is that from? From Dick Paint and or Stains, Relics of War Commenter, 2014. And with that, Wheel of Morality, turn, turn, turn. Tell us a lesson that we should learn, Shongaku. One of the best ways to fish for king salmon in Alaska is to use king salmon Dynamite. eggs. What? <laughs> <laughs> Although you guys figure that one out on your own. Do you believe Grybox or Shongakus? <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. Yes, indeed. That was another episode of Relics of War. If you'd like to get involved, you can find us on any social networking site such as Facebook, Twitter, Steam, and many more just by looking up Relics of War. That's Relics of O-R-R. Similarly, if you'd like to send us mail, you can send that to relicsoforr at gmail.com or go to our website, relicsofor.com where you can record right there on the front page using our WordPress widget to put on a headset and give us your feedback. Or if you feel more comfortable with it, you can go ahead and just record the audio and send it to us as an OGG or an MP3 file. If you'd like to join us in-game, send a whisper to Cole, C-O-E-H-L, and Nexi, A-N-E-K-S-I, C-Squirrel-Run, that's a C, and then squirrel, and then run, or Spiritface to get in contact with us or join the guild. 
Last, we always love the comments, so if you want to go to our main site and start commenting on some of the posts that we've got or join our forums, you can have fun with that. If you listen to us on iTunes, you can find our page on the market and just leave a comment or a rating that you feel that we deserve. We appreciate that. We'll read them on the show. 